Amen. Today is, uh, is the Lord's Day. Today is the first uh, Sunday of, of 2019, as Joe has already said. And I, I need to be, just begin by thanking Joe for his, his willingness to, uh, to preach last Sunday as Sonny and I and, and the kids were enjoying the, the holiday. I'm really fortunate uh, to be part of a ministry team where we have, have guys like Joe who are willing to, to step in and to deliver a, a really important and challenging message like Joe did uh, last week. It is so healthy and good for the church to hear different voices from time to time, and so I appreciate Joe's willingness to, to be one of those voices for us. Uh, today, jo- Joe's already mentioned this, but today we start this new uh, series entitled The Baptized Life, uh, The Lifelong Meaning of Immersion into Christ. And I, I read a, a book recently with that title, and it really, it really grabbed me because the author uh, was emphasizing this, this whole concept of, of baptism as more than just a one-time event, but as something that we continue to live long after we've dried off. <laughs> uh, baptism is one of those things that people have a lot of questions about, and I think that's what makes this an important series for us as we begin a new year and as we begin a new time together of studying God's Word. Uh, what does it mean? What does baptism represent? What really happens in baptism? Uh, When should you be baptized and and how should you be baptized? If you ask 10 different people those questions, you're likely to get 10 different answers. There there are a lot lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts about those things. But as we begin this series and as we go through now the, the next couple of weeks, what I'd like to, to ask you to, to think about is, is not so much maybe what, what you've heard about those, those questions, the answers that might easily come to mind. I, I'd love for us instead to, to really ask the question and keep this question in, in front of us. What, is, what does the Bible have to say about baptism? Or if we phrase the, the key question a little differently, uh, what are the, the answers that we find in God's Word? How are those questions answered there in light of the Scriptures? That's really what I'd like for us to think about over the next, over the next couple of weeks. And I want to begin here today just by telling you I have a couple of goals in mind for us as we, as we work our way through this series over the next uh, six weeks. We're, we're trying to stay in line with our, our mission. We're kind of we're not just filling the time <laughs> up here, but the idea is that we would be kind of working toward our mission, and our mission statement says that we seek to follow Jesus by loving God and, and by loving others. And so this series really fits in well there with that, because in order to, to follow Jesus, we need to look at what the scriptures have to say about how we, how we begin that process of following him. So, so one goal that I, I have here uh, as we go through this uh, is that for, for those who haven't taken that step, for those who've never been baptized, my hope, my, my goal is that we can present baptism in such a way that it is inviting, that it is appealing, that it is represented as the joyful experience that we find it to be on the pages of scripture that's that's really the the goal here so so what i hope and what i've been praying about is that 
for some of us who haven't made that commitment yet, for some of us who haven't made that, that decision, I'm hoping and praying that you'll be convicted. I'm praying that you would be convicted to put Christ on in baptism as a result of some of the things that we'll study here and some of the scriptures that we'll look at together. You know, within the religious world, I think it's fair to say that we have a, a very high view of baptism. You can tell that by the way that we talk about baptism. You know, you can also tell that we have a high view of baptism by the, the actual architecture of this room. The fact that our baptistry is positioned where it is, is really telling. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the, the theological implications of where our baptistry is located? Probably not, because you have a lot of other things to think about. <laughs> but these are the kinds of things that I think about. Sometimes on a random day of the week, I'll come in and just look at that, and you think, okay, look at where our, our baptistry is, is positioned there. You know, I, I wasn't around here when they were building this building and talking about where to put the baptistry. I, I kind of think there, there are probably a lot of other things that came into play rather than, you know, theology, okay? But when you are here and someone is putting Christ on in baptism, we literally have to elevate our view, don't we? Unless you're in the balcony, right? <laughs> but down, down here, you kind of have to, you have to look up and see that the baptistry sort of hovers above the stage and all that, that happens here week in and week out. What, what happens there is suspended in this space where heaven and earth kind of meet. doubt the architect had that in mind but i'll tell you it'll preach right because we believe that in baptism something really transcendent happens that it is the work of god that it is the place where something really holy happens so you can tell that just even by the the architecture of this room and so in light of that one of the goals that that i have because we have this high view of baptism i've been praying that that some of us would make that decision to be baptized into Christ as we go through this study. That as we open up the word, that the word of God would, would pierce maybe your heart or, or convict you just as he has now for, for 2,000 years every time people open up the scriptures. So, so if, if that's the case, I just want you to know if, if you haven't been baptized, I, this series is for you. And I would like to ask you to kind of lean in here in a personal way. I'd like to ask you to put aside any any you know, preconceived ideas that you might have about, about baptism and what it means. Instead, just ask you, would you be open to, to hearing again what the scriptures have to say? That's, that's, that's my goal. I, I want to do as, as, uh, as good a job as possible of kind of getting out of the way and just letting, letting the word of God speak. So that's one goal uh, that I have for us as we go through this. But, but also, I told you there were two, there, there's also this, uh, there's, there's part of this, this message, this series that I think is, is really relevant for those who have already made that commitment to be baptized. I'd like for us to think about, uh, over the next couple of weeks, what, what our baptism means, what it meant, but what it means today. And again, that phrase, living the baptized life, what, what does it mean to really live that baptized life? So again, back to that mission statement, we seek to follow Jesus, and that means following him down into the waters of baptism. But after you follow him down into the water, you inevitably have to follow him 
out of the water, back out into the world, out living a, a life that has been transformed and redeemed and renewed. And so, so what exactly does that mean? What does that entail for those who've already made that commitment? I'd love for us to think about that. And I would love for us, as we think about the baptized life, as we think about what really happened to us down there in those waters, my prayer, my sincere desire is that our joy would be restored. Uh, man, we need some joy to be restored as God's people. And, and my prayer is that as we think about what it means to live the, the baptized life, that we would we would have some joy restored to us. Because baptism is a joyful experience. It's where we encounter the good news of Jesus. Jesus himself says that whenever someone responds, he says that there's, there's joy in heaven. He says in Luke chapter 15 that anytime a sinner repents, that there is much rejoicing on the streets of heaven. That means when someone is baptized, when they repent of their sins and they put Christ on in baptism, there's a party in heaven. I said that a couple of weeks ago, and somebody said, I don't like the sound of that. Well, take it up with Jesus, because he says there's rejoicing in heaven. And if you can't rejoice over that, if you can't throw a party for that, Lord help you. I don't know what to do for you, right? So he says that there's much rejoicing. It's a joyful thing on the streets of heaven, but not just there. He says it's also a joyful thing for us in the present, for those who are here on earth. So much so that in Psalm 51, David says, restore unto me the joy of salvation when you think about your salvation story when you think about your baptism i hope there is such joy that comes to mind i can tell you about my own baptism story it's it's a story that brings me much joy i was 10 years old sunday morning my home church in lebanon tennessee i've been reading my bible come to some conclusions that I, I wanted to live the kind of life that I saw there in the pages of the New Testament. The stories of those disciples, those apostles, man, it just something came alive and I understood this wasn't just a patchwork of stories, but there was, there was a story. There was something really going on there. And so, so I was kind of, a, kind of, kind of a, a, a private kid. I didn't talk to my family about my feelings or what I was thinking quite often. And, 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 and I, I certainly was pretty headstrong. So this one Sunday morning when the invitation song was sung, I never said anything to my parents about what I was thinking. What I said, just that morning I decided I'm going to do it. So I crawled across my mother and got into the aisle and started walking down front. And, and, and halfway down the aisle, my mom, my mom chased me down and like put her hand on my shoulder. And, and right here about halfway, she said to me, what are you doing? I was like, seriously, what am I doing? Like, we've, we've seen this a million times. I, I, I'm, I'm going forward, Mom. I want to be baptized. And she says, you can't do that. And I'm like, you, okay, you are not my mother. You're, you're some imposter because my mother would encourage this. Um, she said, no, no, you can't do this because your father's not here. And in my story, my, my dad, the, the illness that would claim his life later, had begun to get really, really bad. So he was unable to come to church with us. He was actually at home with hospice care by this time. So my mom said, no, no, you can't be here. It would break his heart. Please, 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 let's do this. 
at a later time. We Wednesday night would be a great time. We can get your dad dressed. We can get him here. And, you know, in my little 10-year-old mind, I was like, what if Jesus comes back between Sunday and Wednesday? And we had this whole <laughs> theological conversation in the aisle, you know. I'm willing to bet that most of the moms in my church, for at least a day or two, thought my mother was the most godless woman in our church because she marched me back to our seat. <laughs> Preacher was like, uh, okay, no, you're not. All right, continue on. But I'm so glad she did because that Wednesday night, back then before we went to class, we still had a, a devotional in here and we would offer you know, a chance for someone to respond. And my dad walked down the aisle with me. And he sat on the front row as our preacher took my confession and took me down into those waters and brought me back up. And that was the last time my dad went to church, but don't, I don't remember that as, as, a, as a story that brings me grief so much. It's a really joyful story for me. And I appreciate you letting me tell you that because it, it restores a little bit of joy for me. And no matter the particulars of your story, if you have come to know Jesus as Lord, I bet, I bet the same is true for you. I want to share with you another story today. It's, it's, um, it's an inspired story from the Word of God in Acts chapter 8. But I think it communicates really well this same central idea that we're centered around today as we kick off this, this series that is that baptism is an encounter with the good news of the, God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that makes it really, really joyful. We're in Acts 8. If you'd like to turn your Bibles, feel free to. Uh, we'll have these verses on the screen as well. Acts 8, starting in verse 26. This is where we'll focus. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot. And he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. 
This is the word of God. A uh, little bit of background about uh, the book of Acts real quickly. Acts was written by, by Luke. Luke is a follower of Jesus who gave us one of the gospels. We refer to it as the gospels according to Luke. But Luke did something that no other gospel writer did. He gave us a sequel. We call that sequel the Acts of the Apostles, although in my opinion it ought to be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because as, as you can see here, the Holy Spirit is the one kind of uh, at work in all of this. So in the book of Acts, Luke tells us how the church began and how she grew, how she became this, this inclusive community of faith, a church. It was founded again upon these, these principles of loving God and loving others. And an angel appears to Philip, and, and, and Philip's one of the apostles, and he tells him to go to this, this desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. I tried to put this large enough where you could see it on this, this map. In the Old Testament, Gaza was one of the five cities of the Philistines. And if you'll remember some of your you know, Old Testament stories, if you're familiar with some of those, David and Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines were the major enemy of God's people in the Old Testament. And so Philip is told to go to this road between Jerusalem, the city of God, and Gaza, one of the pagan cities of old, one of the enemy cities, one of the enemy territories, if you will. But something really interesting happens here. This desert road is about to become a highway for the Lord, just as, just as Isaiah predicted in Isaiah chapter 40. And on this road, Philip meets a eunuch from Ethiopia who serves as the treasurer for the Candace. Candace is actually a title, it's not a name. Her name wasn't Candace. <laughs> She's the Candace. Kind of like the Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, the Candace would have been the queen in Ethiopia. And so this eunuch serves in, in, in the courts of the Candace, and, and in the ancient world, uh, castrated males were actually employed in high-level positions quite often, especially if they were going to be spending time around the royal family. So this eunuch is one such man. He's the treasurer, it says, and uh, he is what the Jews would have referred to as a God-fearer, one who worships Israel's God but hasn't become a full convert yet. We know that Judaism was widespread in Ethiopia at that time, so all of this is, is plausible. I mean, it, it happened. And he's on his way. He goes, he goes to Jerusalem. All the way to Jerusalem he goes to worship. He's coming home. Uh, so, just as an aside, right? You think you have it bad with the closing of Cecil Ashburn. <laughs> it could be worse, okay? That's all I'm saying. Uh, so th this man, he goes all the way to Jerusalem from Ethiopia to worship and, uh, and what's really fascinating is that even though he does this, he, he can only make it so far. He can't actually go into the main courts of the temple because of his physical condition. Deuteronomy 23 said, that's the case for you. Sorry, you can't, you know, you can only go so far. But all that just really underscores his devotion to the Lord, right? Because he still goes. And so he's coming home, and, he, and he's reading this scripture, and, and Philip approaches, and he hears him reading from Isaiah, and he's reading this section that we refer to as Isaiah 53. It's the fourth of these servant songs that Isaiah has written. Isaiah lived centuries before, but he prophesied, he anticipated this one who would come from God, who was anointed by the Spirit, and he had a special service to God. And even though Luke only quotes a couple of the, the lines from Isaiah 53, he likely intends for his audience to recall the whole thing. Some of the more uh, familiar passages from Isaiah 53 
They might ring a bell. You may have heard some of these. Uh, he had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, uh, wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So on this side of the cross and this side of the empty tomb, we understand these passages to be referring to Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. He's the one that Isaiah was anticipating. He is the one who would, would be anointed with the Spirit and would die an atoning death for our sin. We understand all this to be about Jesus, but our eunuch is struggling. He's saying, who, who is he talking about here? Is he writing about himself or someone else? And then I want you to, to see what, what Philip said. This is back in Acts 8, okay? We can learn a lot from Philip here. It says, Philip began with that very passage, and, and he began to tell him about the good news. Began with that passage of Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip was able to take that verse, that, that text, and use it as a springboard to present the gospel, to present the good news, our friend from Ethiopia here. And we don't know exactly what Philip said. We don't get all of that recorded for us. We get very little of it, actually. But, but we know it had to focus on, on Jesus. It had to focus on the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But Philip told it in a way that it was good news. And I think for us, as we seek to be faithful to Jesus, we, like Philip, need to find ways to tell the story in a way that people hear it as if it is good news. And maybe you'll be as fortunate as Philip. You'll come across somebody who's reading a, a passage and you're familiar with it and they want to know what does it mean and you're like, I studied for this one. <laughs> and you are right there and you could jump right in and help them. If so, praise God. Maybe it's, maybe it's a different sort of circumstance altogether. Maybe it's somebody who's trying to puzzle out the meaning of, a, of some song or some movie that they've seen. And you're able to find a way, conversationally, relationally, to kind of point that back. I don't know if it, this is what it means, but as someone who follows the Lord, I kind of think it might mean this. And that just opens up a door of opportunity. Maybe for you, it's someone who's going through some difficulty, like John prayed about a few minutes ago. Or you're able to find a way to turn that into a hopeful conversation in light of the hope we have now through Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what it might be, but I think like Philip, we need to find ways to frame the gospel so that people understand it and hear it as good news. That's what Philip does. He tells it as a story that is good news that has made all the difference in his life. And as a, a Torah-observant Jew, Philip understood his Old Testament scriptures really well. He knew them like the back of his hand. And so I, I don't know this for sure. I can't prove this to you, but I just am willing to bet. I, I really believe that Philip, and somewhere in their conversation, he rolled the, the scroll forward just a little bit. And he went to a promise that Isaiah wrote down centuries earlier about what happens in light of this suffering servant. And there's a word of good news there. For eunuchs, just like our friend here in this chariot from Ethiopia, there's a word of good news in Isaiah chapter 56. That I think Philip naturally would have gone to in presenting the gospel to this man. That word is this, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. 
And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. This is good news, isn't it? That the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of of Jesus, the suffering servant, that his kingdom is for outsiders. I want you to hear this. This is the source of joy for this eunuch, that the kingdom of God is now available to an outsider. Because of the work of God's Messiah, the New Testament tells us that all who were once far off have now been brought near. That is why Jesus came, to seek and to save, he says, right? So the good news of the Messiah, as it pertains to this particular man, to this Ethiopian eunuch, he is, has been an outsider. There are certain doors he can't walk through when it comes to his aspiring faith. He can only go so far. There are boundaries. There are places where he can go and places where he can't go. He has no family, no sons and no daughters. No lineage, no legacy. His family name dies off with him. But in Jesus, as the good news is presented to him by Philip, he finds something that is far superior to his current state. In Jesus, he finds inclusion. He's no longer an outsider. In Jesus, he's made whole. In Jesus, he receives a name that's better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that will endure forever. In in Jesus, he finds what he's been looking for all along, and that's someone who can forgive him of his sins. Brothers and sisters, that is truly good news. And Philip's presentation of the gospel must have included baptism it must have included some sort of reference to baptism because and listen if you if you're kind of you know on the fence about what baptism even means i just want you to look back at this okay because it's the eunuch who interrupts philip and says look there's some water and what's his next question what what does he say next is there anything that's keeping me why why shouldn't i be baptized This man's been told he's an outsider. And he seems to be okay with that as long as I can just get near the temple and sing praises to the Lord. But now you're telling me that because of what Jesus has done, that's that's not the case anymore? Well, there's some water. Is there anything keeping me, he says, from being baptized? And this is important because in that gospel presentation, Philip has somehow connected baptism with Jesus because apart from Jesus baptism has absolutely no meaning apart from Jesus baptism means nothing just getting wet but you connect that with Jesus baptism in the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the forgiveness and grace of Jesus it suddenly means everything. 
the root meaning of that word baptize. It means to dip. It means to soak. It means to immerse. And what is, what is immersed and what is, is baptized, the idea behind that is that you, 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 you dip and you immerse and you soak so that what is being dipped actually takes on the quality of what it's being immersed into. So for instance, you have cloth that is dipped in dye. It takes on that quality. It takes on that color, right? Leather in tanning solution. It takes on that quality. So listen, this is, this is important. This is what makes baptism so important. Baptism in the name of Jesus is what we're after. Because it is baptism, it is immersion into life and death and resurrection, the story of Jesus. And to be immersed into the name of Jesus is to take on the qualities of Jesus, to partake of his sinlessness where I am sinful, right? To be able to partake of his righteousness when I am unrighteous. To be clothed in Christ. You know, in the New Testament, in the early church period, if you wanted to be baptized, you were converted, and you were going to be baptized into Christ. Oftentimes that baptism was, was done totally and completely naked. Probably had a lot of men baptizing men and women baptizing women, as an aside, okay? Just so you think through the mechanics of that. But the reason they would do that is because as soon as you came up out of the water, they would throw a white cloak, a white robe, something in white. They would throw it over you as a way of representing you are now clothed in Christ. And it was joyful. And the eunuch, when he comes up out of that water, and Philip is whisked away by the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't even see him anymore. Maybe, maybe not. He didn't even get to say thank you. I don't know. But he went on his way joyful. I love the way it's translated in the message. He went down the road as happy as he can be. People who've been baptized in the name of Jesus should look like that Ethiopian eunuch. They should be as happy as can be. They should be joyful. If we believe what we say we believe about baptism, we should be the most joyful people on earth. Luke tells other stories of joy. He tells a story about an Ethi a, a Philippian jailer who was baptized in the middle of the night in Acts 16 and says in verse 34 there that he was joyful. He rejoiced because he had come to know the Lord God. Details are kind of different. The, the story, though, the root story is the same. The question is, will it be your story? Have you committed your life to the Lord, but maybe lost a little bit of that joy? You can always tell someone who's been baptized, right, because they're dripping wet, their hair is matted down, they, you know, clothes are sticking to them. What about after you dry off? Maybe it's been a long time since you dried off. People still tell that you're a follower of Jesus because of the joy you have, kind of like that eunuch. If not, I pray today something would be restored. Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. But maybe today, maybe for you, you never made your story align with that story. Maybe that's that, 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 like, like, like the eunuch there. Maybe you have some questions. Maybe you're still kind of struggling with it. But maybe you feel like you don't know enough. I would say this to you also. You very likely know more about Jesus than this Ethiopian eunuch ever did. 
before he made those commitments. For all we know, that was the first time he'd ever heard the name of Jesus. And he said, there's water, what's holding me back? What's holding you back? Today, if you need to give your life to the Lord in baptism, hear the word of the Lord again. There's much rejoicing in heaven when that happens. And we stand ready to share in that joy with you as well. If you need to respond today in any way, I hope you will. Let's stand together and let's sing.